Today is Saturday, July 31st, 2021. On this day in 1972, three car bombs exploded in the Northern Irish village of Claudie in a suspected terrorist attack. This episode is brought to you by the Inspire Collection by Kalia. Ladies, your workouts are about to get an upgrade. The new Inspire leggings by Kalia are exactly what you want when it comes to activewear. It's their most versatile collection yet. They look good, feel good, and stay put. Using Lycra adaptive fiber, it compresses and molds to the body like a second skin. And it's unbelievably stretchy, so you can move however you want. Shop the Inspire Collection by Kalia now, exclusively at Dick's Sporting Goods. Welcome to Today in True Crime, a Spotify original from Parcast. Due to the graphic nature of these crimes, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes discussions of mass murder that some people may find offensive. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. Today, we're covering the bombing of Claudie. Long suspected to be the work of Irish terrorists, no one has ever been charged for the crime. Let's go back to July 31st, 1972, to the small, sleepy town of Claudie. The Monday morning started slowly. Rose McLaughlin, aged 51, opened her shop as she always did. A teenager, Patrick Connolly, idly browsed her shelves. A family man named Joseph McCluskey walked through town with his four-year-old son, looking for a newspaper. Elizabeth McElhenney pumped gas outside her pub. Arthur Hone was simply enjoying the morning inside, and 16-year-old William Temple rode through the area on a milk delivery. Nearby, Merle and Billy Eakin managed their grocery store with the help of their daughter, 9-year-old Catherine. Merle was the first to see something strange, but she didn't think much of it until afterwards. She watched as a man who she didn't know stepped out of his car and walked by the shop. Catherine was outside cleaning the windows, and Merle saw the man look right at her. It was a moment she would replay in her mind for years to come. Just after 10 a.m., Merle's world fell apart. A nearby explosion ripped through the street. Elizabeth, who was pumping gas near the center of the blast, died instantly. Inside the building, Arthur was pierced with shrapnel. Joseph McCluskey was also killed right away. Graciously, his young son survived. The windows of Rose's shop shattered, sending glass flying into herself and teenaged Patrick. The two of them, along with the wounded Arthur, succumbed to their injuries in the coming days. The final victim of the first bomb was nine-year-old Catherine. The man who walked by the shop was likely the bomber. He'd seen a child at risk of injury or death, and he still hadn't said a word. Two elderly men were just outside the blast radius at the time and rushed into the carnage, hoping to help the wounded. Amongst them was the milk boy, William. He was injured in the first explosion, but survived and was able to move. The police sprang into action as well. Though neighbors running in to help had the best of intentions, authorities knew they had to be evacuated quickly. They had zero information and every reason to believe there could be more deaths. 
their suspicions were confirmed when a second bomb was discovered in a car parked outside the post office. Desperate to get people away, they funneled everyone who could move towards the Beaufort Hotel. They couldn't have known that a third device was waiting for them in a minivan outside the building. The hotel bomb killed David, James, and young William instantly. It was the final blast, but more than enough damage was done. Nine lay dead in the small town. Indiscriminate carnage killed young and old, Catholic and Protestant, Loyalist and Nationalist. The cruelty and randomness of the attack quickly made news across Ireland and the United Kingdom. The IRA, or Irish Republican Army, was assumed responsible, though they denied it fiercely. British investigators collected evidence and witness statements, but the case eventually went cold. No arrests were made, and the man Merle saw before her daughter's death was never found. But nearly 40 years later, the citizens of Claudie learned a conspiracy had kept them from getting justice all along. Coming up, the cover-up in Claudie. Imagine living with a secret so big that if anyone ever found out, it would change everything. Imagine carrying that secret with you every day, desperate to one day get it off your chest. Do you think you could take a secret like that to the grave? I'm Estefania Hageman, host of the new podcast series, Deathbed Confessions, the show where we dive deep into the most explosive things people have admitted to while drawing their last breath. From murder, fake identities, heists, illicit affairs, and even top government secrets. This season on Deathbed Confessions, we investigate cases like Frank Thorogood, the construction worker who claimed that the drowning of Rolling Stones founder Brian Jones was no accident. Margaret Gibson, a silent film actress who, while dying of a heart attack, confessed to one of the most famous unsolved crimes in Hollywood history. And ex-CIA officer Howard Hunt, who on his deathbed, confessed to playing a role in the assassination of President John F. Kennedy. Deathbed Confessions is a Spotify original from Parcast, airing episodes weekly starting July 21st. Follow and listen to Deathbed Confessions for free on Spotify. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Now back to the story. On July 31, 1972, three bombs exploded in the small northern Irish village of Claudie, leaving nine dead. It was a shocking terrorist attack, one of many that ravaged the island in the late 20th century. Northern Ireland had been a land of conflict since its inception. For decades, the Irish fought both the British and each other about whether to remain a part of the United Kingdom or become their own nation. The creation of Northern Ireland, followed shortly by the Irish Civil War, led to a tenuous and complicated compromise. 
the region would remain a part of the UK, bordered by the fully independent Republic of Ireland. But the situation was never settled. Many in the North believed in an independent and unified state. Those loyal to the crown believed their Republican neighbors were traitors. For years, tensions simmered. The Provisional Irish Republican Army, commonly known as the IRA, organized and protested in Northern Ireland. They considered themselves the successors to the army who fought for an independent Ireland. On the opposite side, loyalists formed their own paramilitary groups, most notably the Ulster Volunteer Force. In the late 1960s, things came to a head once again. Heated protests by Irish nationalists were met with rabid responses from the British Army and Loyalists. Protests became riots, and riots became acts of terrorism. The era came to be called the Troubles. 1972 was among the deadliest years of the conflict. After the British Army shot and killed 14 civilians less than 10 miles away from Claudi, things got much worse. For the rest of the year, the IRA and the British Army were effectively at war. Numerous shootings, bombings, raids and occupations left the Northern Irish dead and displaced. The British efforts to maintain control were ceaselessly violent, while the IRA's responses were counterproductive acts of terrorism. Seeking to clamp down on the IRA for good, the British launched Operation Motorman to take back IRA-controlled neighborhoods in cities like Belfast. This was the political backdrop during the Claudie bombing. It's hard to know exactly how much the culprit was cooperating with the larger IRA structure. Like many insurgencies, the group was not particularly organized, and some local sects acted almost entirely on their own. But the man was undoubtedly in a position of power within the organization. He was believed to be the director of operations in South Derry. And most importantly, he was a Catholic priest. The Troubles were not only a religious conflict, but they're often framed that way. Many Irish loyalists were Protestants, while many of the nationalists were Catholics. These labels were often used to paint both sides of the conflict in a problematic light. Yet, Father James Chesney was proudly Catholic and proudly nationalist. When first investigating the Claudia attack, his name came up frequently. He was known to favor a unified, free Ireland. And as the British investigated the incident, they discovered his deeper ties to the IRA. Because of the subsequent cover-up, we don't know how the British finally confirmed Father Chesney was responsible for the event. But it wasn't long after the connection was made that the Catholic Church contacted the government. In a series of secret meetings and letters only made public in 2010, the Catholic Church convinced the Northern Irish government to keep Father Chesney's involvement secret. The government was convinced that if people knew a Catholic priest had blatantly attacked civilians, the troubles would become a full-on religious civil war. Violence could skyrocket and a bad situation could get even worse. Instead of facing justice, Father Chesney was quietly transferred to a parish in West Ireland, safely over the border. But the rumors never went away. Chesney's name and the suspected cover-up were whispered about for years before the public investigation in 2010 confirmed it. 
He died of cancer in 1980 and reportedly denied the charges until his death. With his passing, much about the Claudia attacks remains a mystery. Just how Father Chesney planned and coordinated the bombings and whether the IRA was involved are not known. IRA leadership has long claimed the attacks were unacceptable and unconscionable. While the group took other terrorist actions, it did not indiscriminately target civilians. On the anniversary of the bombing in 2012, Irish nationalist Martin McGuinness issued a strong challenge to the world as it remembers the Troubles. He said, It is my firm view that we need to find a better way of dealing with the legacy of the conflict, which goes beyond individual acts of commemoration or remembrance, and begins to deal with the very real hurt that exists throughout our society. Thanks for listening to Today in True Crime. I'm Vanessa Richardson. You can find more episodes of Today in True Crime and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. We'll be back with a brand new episode tomorrow in True Crime. Today in True Crime is a Spotify original from Parcast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Paul Liebeskin, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Aaron Larson. This episode of Today in True Crime was written by John McDonough, with writing assistance by Terrell Wells, and fact-checking by Cheyenne Lopez. I'm Vanessa Richardson. 